Lord, we just thank you so much for Tim. We thank you that you have gifted and graced him with all his particular skills and this particular passion. And in this time and in this cultural moment, you have prepared him with a word and a passion to impact the national church here in Australia so that we might impact the international church. Lord, would you help us to listen with humble hearts and would you continue to minister in him and through him for the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, I'll just grab some stuff. I need my Bible for starters. If you have a Bible with you, whether it look on paper or uh, an e-Bible or something like that, please pull it out because it's always good to make sure I'm not making up what I say. Um, So, all right. I'm going to try and control the screen using my phone, but uh, technology hates me. So if it fails, that's okay. Um, Thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure. And those lights are so bright. Um, I'm really excited to share with you all. And I'm really excited that you're doing stuff on world missions, even if it's to do with koalas. How do you get koalas to cooperate on a plane? Practice. So you've been flying them to Brisbane and back? or I don't know what practice means in this context, but whatever it is, I'm sure it's cool. That... I've never heard of that before. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, So we're going to focus on the book of Acts, which you've already been doing. And um, Mike was telling me that you were focused on, in particular, one verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I've got a message today which is relevant for all of you now, but also about the ends of the earth. But I'll tell you how that ties in as we go. Uh, Please pray with me now and we'll pray that God uses my words. Lord God, I thank you so much that we can gather here and we don't have to worry about anyone coming through the door to disrupt us. Lord, we thank you that you have placed us in a time where we don't need to worship in fear together, Lord, where we don't need to worry about... uh, people potentially kidnapping us after the service, where we don't need to worry about police following us home and then uh, to our workplaces to intimidate us, Lord. We know that this may just be a season that we get to live in this great freedom, but we thank you for it. And for our brothers and sisters who don't share this, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them today. And Lord, I pray that you would use these words now to impact all of us, including myself, Lord, speaking to each of us today. Amen. So the first thing I want to do is uh, I want to share with you uh, a story of persecution. What does the face of persecution look like in the world today? Well, if this loads, it should. We actually have a code word in case my phone doesn't work. The code word is rhinoceros. There we go. Okay. So if I say rhinoceros, you know exactly what's happening. But uh, we'll try and avoid that. Yeah, it's not working. So I'm just going to say rhinoceros a lot. Okay. So... Uh, These men behind me, uh, I am in this photo, but please don't focus on that. Focus on the guys who look Vietnamese. Uh, This photo was taken while I was in Vietnam last year. I went to Vietnam to visit some of the stuff that our ministry does there. Our ministry works in about 70 countries around the world. And in Vietnam, persecution has in the past been from the communist government who has persecuted Christianity at an institutional level. But that's really eased up over the last few years. And These men are from a really rural, remote part of Vietnam. 
where they came from, it wouldn't have been safe for us to go to them, not for our sake, but for theirs. Because if we'd gone to them and their friends and neighbours and the government had seen them associating with us, with outsiders, then terrible things would have happened to them. So they had to travel into the city to meet with us. And they had an incredible story. So the man in the plain white shirt up there, his name is Din Van Tien. And the man next to him in the black jacket and white shirt, his name is Zen. And they were both the first believers in their village, separate villages. And the way that Din Van Tien came to know the gospel was that he's a subsistence farmer. That means that he grows just enough food to feed his family and a tiny bit more to sell at market for basic things that they need that you know, he can't grow on the farm. But they're always stuck in this cycle of poverty where they never have quite enough food to sell to get out of because they needed to eat. And so they've never had any kind of education and the village has never progressed. It's very much like the Stone Ages. But Dimentian travelled into town to sell a pig which he'd grown for six months. And he ran into the other guy, who I haven't mentioned in that picture, in the blue shirt on the end. Again, not me, the Vietnamese-looking guy. And that guy's a pastor. And so Dim Van Tien, at town, selling a pig, runs into this pastor. And this pastor shares the gospel with him. And Dim Van Tien gets excited about it, hearing what Jesus has done for the very first time in his life. And decides that he wants to give his life to Jesus as well. And so he goes back to his village. And he shares the gospel with everyone. No one there has heard it before. They are animists. So they believe in different spirits, like the spirit of the trees, the spirit of the rocks, the spirit of the stream, of the field, and so on and so forth. And they have to sacrifice to these spirits every day, believing that if they don't, these spirits will get angry and, and make them sick or make their crops fail or even kill their children. Something horrible will happen. And so Dim Van Tien comes back to his village and he shares the gospel and six families decide to give their lives to Christ, which is amazing. But when the gospel goes out that quickly, then the enemy has to do something. And that's often persecution. There's a really close link between the fastest growing, country, growing churches in the world and persecuted Christians. doesn't have to be there, but there is a link at the moment. And so the persecution started for Dim Van Tien, and at first it started small. So out of fear that the spirits would harm them as a result of no longer sacrificing to them, they begged Dim Van Tien and they said, you, you have to stop following this Jesus, and you have to sacrifice to the spirits. And Dim Van Tien said, no, because I believe Jesus is more powerful. And then the persecution increased. So the next thing that they did was they, they put sand into the petrol tank of his scooter. And they broke it. His only way to get to town to make any money for his family destroyed. But he didn't give up on Jesus after that. And so the persecution started to increase. The next thing the villagers did was they went and they hamstrung his cows which means they cut the back legs of his cow so they couldn't plow the field anymore, which is a devastating loss. 
And then when he still wouldn't give up on Jesus, while he was asleep one night, the villagers came with large stones the size of cinder blocks and threw them through the ceiling of his house with the intention to kill him. But it landed just millimeters from his head, his wife's head, and his children's heads as they slept. And Zen had a very similar story. For him, persecution escalated to the point where villagers came and they beat him with bamboo rods. And they beat him so badly that they only stopped when he'd passed out because they thought that they had killed him. While he was with us, he, he showed us that his teeth were still wobbly from the attack. Sitting with these two guys, I was, I was just taken aback. And I, I had to ask them, why or how do you still follow Jesus when this is happening? And Din Van Tin answered first. And he said, all our lives we've had to sacrifice to these spirits so that something terrible won't happen. But to hear that Jesus came to earth and died in my place to make me right with God means that he is a gentle God. And then Zen answered and he said, because I know Jesus and he's coming back soon. So these two men who have had no education at all somehow have this incredible understanding of who Jesus is, maybe even more so than me, having read the Bible my whole life. And this is what persecution looks like all throughout the world. And it varies, but we'll get into that. I just wanted to introduce them to you first. So today I want to talk to you about how persecution is actually really exciting. But you'll see why. So I'm going to take us to Acts chapter 8. Again, open it up in your Bible. Make sure I'm not making anything up, but I'm going to read from directly off the screen if you want to look there. This is one of the saddest parts of the Bible in the New Testament. And it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. So just so you got a bit of context, in Acts chapter 7, the greatest guy in the world has just been killed for his faith. His name is Stephen. His day job is to hand out bread to widows and people who can't support themselves. Why would you kill a person like that? Because Stephen was sharing his faith. It is not outside any of us to not share our faith. That is our primary role, and Stephen knew that, and he was killed for that you probably won't be in Australia. So let's read on. Uh, and they approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So you know the context of this, that in the chapter before, Stephen has just been killed for sharing his faith. And this kind of persecution, 
which is mentioned here and where we pick up, it's really extreme level of persecution. And working in about 70 countries, we see this kind of persecution in about only one country today. And uh, in that country, it is house to house. And that country is North Korea, which I have a picture from. So in North Korea, the persecution is just so intense that it's almost impossible to be a Christian. I'll give you an example. I don't usually tell stories from North Korea because they're quite sad, but I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, our ministry hit a real uh, snag in the country because the government came up with this new campaign to find Christians who have been keeping their faith uh, really well hidden for a while. So what the government did was in every primary school throughout the country, they instructed teachers to do this. The teachers held up a book in school and said, every child is involved in a big game throughout the country. Go home today and search your house for this book. If you find it and bring it to school tomorrow, you'll get a big prize. And so children of primary school age all throughout the country of North Korea, they, they went home that night and they searched their houses top to bottom for Bibles. And any kid who found one, they brought it to school the next day. They got a prize and then they never saw their family again. Government dragged them off and put them in concentration camps. That is the kind of persecution which is house to house, insidious, and, and that's the, the worst kind of persecution. But even in North Korea, there, there is some hope. We know that there's about 200,000 Christians in North Korea. And about 70,000 of them are in concentration camps at the moment. But even in those concentration camps, they still meet together. Because how can we not have fellowship as Christians? We have to get together and share about how good Jesus is. And they do it. But they have to do it in the toilet blocks of these concentration camps because it's the only place too disgusting for the guards to go. And they even sing worship songs, but they do it by mouthing the words to one another in total silence so that they won't be punished for it. And we need to pray for countries like North Korea because there will come a day when the current regime is gone and things will change. But we need to pray for that. And, and I really believe that God will make amazing things happen there. Uh, but that is the situation in North Korea. And I want you to think of it like a scale as well. So uh, all the way down at this end of the scale, you've got North Korea and you, you've got people who are literally dragged out of their homes. Horrible things happening. Uh, even people being killed. And then persecution is up that end, but persecution is also down this end where you see social marginalization. You see uh, society saying Christians are weird, Christians are, you know, strange in their thinking, it's out of date, it's irrelevant. This also is persecution. Persecution is not just that, persecution is a scale. Because Jesus promises that anyone who follows him will be persecuted. 
I mean, we talk a lot in our churches in the West about the promises that Jesus has for our lives and the promises that God makes for us. We don't talk a lot about you will be persecuted for your faith, but Jesus does promise that of his followers. And so it may be down here for us here in Australia, but it's still the same. And we still identify with the persecuted church because there is not a persecuted church and a free church. There is one church and that is Christ's bride and he is coming back for his bride. So these were our brothers and sisters up this end, as we are all brothers and sisters down this end as well. So when you think about persecution, please don't just think of that. Think of everything along here. And we seek to serve everyone on this scale. But I left off a really key verse before, so we'll move forward. My phone's still not working. If we could go to the next slide again, it's the... uh, I left off verse 4. Uh, which says, oh, if we could proceed forward from there as opposed to backward. Rhinoceros, thank you. There we go. Verse 4 at the end there says, those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. So persecution is actually not outside God's plan, but is the engine that drives the gospel forward. And and I'll make it clear to you. So uh, we're going to have to have a little bit of crowd participation, I think. Uh, So all of you are going to have to answer some questions that I've got. You'll get it. I'll put the answers on the screen for you, or I'll scream out rhinoceros and get the answer on the screen for you if I don't hear you answering. I just heard some of you laugh, so I know that you're there. Okay. So to understand this, we need to go backwards. Now, I'm going to take us backwards even before Acts chapter 1, which we mentioned before. And if we think about Matthew 28, what's significant happens in Matthew 28? Yeah, one of you can read. Okay, put your hand up if you went to school. That's not enough. That's not enough of you. I don't know if you're all Baptists and you're scared to put your hand up or what. Okay, let's try again. What happens in Matthew chapter 28? Excellent. All right. Okay. You get it. So in Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, go to the ends of the earth, make believers of everyone telling them what I have done, go baptizing men and women. And so the disciples know that their job is to share about Jesus, share the good news of what he has done, coming to earth, reconciling all men to him, to God on the cross. Right? And the disciples know this, but there's a but. Jesus says, do this, but wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And so we move forward and we get to Acts chapter 2 and something significant happens in Acts chapter 2. Excellent. All right, you get the idea now. So in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes. So we we see in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth, but wait for the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 8 and, oh, sorry, in Acts chapter 2. And we know that they have the powers that, you know, to speak to man, to speak in their languages, that they have the Holy Spirit with them. And so between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7, what happens? Nothing. That's really good. That was great. You're paying attention. There was no slide for that. So between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7, nothing happens. 
And then as a result of them not going out, God must make himself known. And so he scatters people through persecution. Right? Persecution is part of God's plan. It may be unpleasant, but it's what's happening. And even in the world today where we see persecution going on, we see people having a chance to hear the gospel where they might not have before. And I'll share more about that. So the first example I'm going to draw from is Syria. Uh, Syria, we would say, is the 15th hardest country to be a Christian. Last year it was the 6th hardest country. The reason that it's got so much better to be a Christian in Syria is because Islamic State has lost control of so much territory. Uh, Islamic State, almost every rumor you have heard about Islamic State and the horrible things they do is true. And then some. Islamic State have been horrendous. Um, But despite that, the gospel is going out in Syria in amazing ways. And I've got some examples to share with you, but I'm going to show you a short video just first so you get an idea of the situation. So that's what's happening in Syria. Well, that gives you an idea. And it's incredible to think that in Syria, that's where Saul, who presided over this killing in Acts chapter 7, he stood by and watched Stephen get stoned, and he approved of it. And as he was walking along the road to Damascus, where this photo is taken here, this photo is literally along the road to Damascus. And a year ago, not that far back, Islamic State were walking these very same roads. And if you believe that same thing that I believe, that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord now as he was when he appeared to Saul, that is seated in heaven, that he could appear to Saul and change his life to go on to influence churches even today, to go on to write so much of the New Testament, then can any member of Islamic State not be the same? And if that is the case, then how much time do we spend praying for members of Islamic State to come to know Christ? In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He's not saying pray that they would succeed in persecution. But what do we pray for people? We pray that they would come to know the true nature of who God is. We pray that they would come to know Jesus. And so we as Christians, we may have a natural response to be fearful of persecution, to hate the people who are persecuting us. But Jesus' literal command is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And persecution provides opportunities that didn't exist before for the gospel to go out. So I'll give you an example from Syria. This this photo, uh, this is probably the sort of thing that you would see in the news. And this was taken about two years ago, maybe three years ago now at this point. And this kind of photo shows you the destruction of what's happening in Syria. And you would hear that a lot, but 
in my job, I get to hear the exciting things that are happening in Syria, how God is at work. And I'll share how God is at work. So in this city where this photo was taken, uh, just like the rest of Syria, about 80% of the Christian population fled. Imagine if 80% of the church fled Australia. It's a tragedy. But in this city, that's what happened. 80% of the church had fled this city. And of the 20% who remained, most of them were the sick and the elderly, the people who couldn't flee. There's very few exceptions to this. Uh, Two exceptions. One was a pastor who Open Doors has been supporting there. And another, a young woman who chose to make it her ministry to care for some of the other sick and elderly women in the city who couldn't flee. Nobody asked her to do this. Nobody told her to do it. She saw a need and she wanted to be Jesus to these women. And this city was carved into about five different sections. In one section where she lived, it was controlled by the government forces. In another section, it was Islamic State. And then in the other three sections were different Islamic extremist organizations, all with their own different aims, but all of them hate Christians. Living in the government section, she's as safe as she could be, uh, but one day when fighting got particularly fierce, an Islamic extremist group broke through into her section of the city. They were going from house to house to find people and they came to her apartment and they started pounding on the door and they said, let us in. But she stood there for 15 minutes with her hands up and said, go away. You're not welcome here. Leave. And then they did. The government reasserted its control over the city again and those extremists were pushed out. But it wasn't two weeks later before these men came back knowing where she lived and kidnapped her off the street. They took her to the part of the city that they controlled. And the leader of their extremist organization, he he sat down in front of her and he said to her, tell me, who's behind you that gives you the right to defy the men that I sent to take you. And she said, I can tell you, but I don't think you really want me to. And he insisted, he said, you will tell me, and you'll show me some respect as well, because when when men stand before me, they shake with fear, but you're just standing there. Who's behind me? And then for the next half an hour, she shared her testimony and she shared the gospel. And this terrorist leader broke down in tears. And we know this story because they let her go at this point. And we don't know what's happened to that man, but we can say with some certainty something has happened in his heart. And it sounds very similar to a story uh, that I heard when I was in Central Asia last year. And I met a pastor who, he told me that when his country was in civil war as well, uh, he was walking down the street and he saw a terrorist coming towards him. And he felt God say to him, 
I want you to tell this terrorist who I am. And so like a pastor in his right mind, he said, no. And so he kept walking. And then God stopped him again and said, you've got to tell this terrorist who I am. And he said, no, God. And he kept walking. But then the third time when God stopped him, he said, fine, I'll tell him who you are. And so this pastor shared the gospel with this terrorist. And that terrorist as well, he broke down in tears in the middle of the street. And he said, all my life, I have been trying to serve God as best I can. And in the Quran, it says to subjugate and to kill the non-believer. And I've been living a life of violence. But you telling me that Jesus came for me while I was still a sinner and died for me, that is a God that I want to follow. You see, for most of these terrorists, these extremists, for many Muslims, they've never had a chance to hear who Jesus truly is. And this is a billion people who spend a whole month every year fasting, who pray five times a day, and even when they do all of that, have no certainty that they will get to heaven. These people at oftentimes challenge me so much because they may put more into their faith than I do, reading the Quran, praying, fasting, giving sacrificially. These are not things unique to Christianity, but Muslims practice them with great resolve. And they haven't had a chance to hear who Jesus truly is. And they persecute Christians. They are not our enemy. They are our mission field. Because even if we were to consider them our enemy, Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And it's really hard for Christians in persecution. It is hard for women who have been sold by Islamic State soldiers into slavery to pray for these people. But as our sisters, we can pray on their behalf. Because as I said, there is not a free church and a persecuted church. There is one church. These are our brothers and sisters, and we are to embrace them. We are to love them. We are to pray with them. And I am fully aware of all of the terrible things that have happened in the name of Islamic extremism. Possibly more than uh, any one of you, I, I hear stories every day. But Jesus' command is to love them. And so uh, I have a fun little poem to share with you that helps keep my heart right, and I hope that it will help you as well. And it is this. Every time you hear the word Islam, think, I sincerely love all Muslims. Because while Christ, while we were still dead in our sins, Christ died for us, and it is the same for them. It is no different. Uh, I'll keep moving. Uh, so that is the situation in Syria. And the situation in Iraq was very similar for many years. But we're now at a slightly different point. Uh, so I have a 
another short video here to show you kind of what it's like in Iraq at the moment. So for many Christians in Iraq, this is what it's like. They're returning home, uh, and many of them are returning home to rubble. But we're helping them rebuild. The thing that I want you to take from that video is that when persecution comes, it is not from within ourselves that we find strength to stand up under persecution. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us strong. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in them, lives in you, and that is what makes you strong to share the gospel. So we come back to this verse. We see that persecution is a tool that God will use to make himself known. So how is this relevant to you? Well, persecution is the tool that God is using in many countries. And in many of these countries, in Syria and Iraq in particular, the Christians did not consider themselves persecuted until the fall of their regimes. There were specific laws that said Christians could do whatever they wanted so long as they didn't share the gospel with Muslims. And so many Christians didn't share their faith with people outside the Christian community, which sounds quite similar to what happens in many churches in Australia. And then when God wasn't being made known, Just like in the book of Acts, persecution came and scattered them, and now the church is a witness to thousands of people. Because Christians don't seek war in vengeance. Christians are seeking to rebuild the country around them. Christians want to return to their homes and not seek justice, but to live with their neighbors again. And so I went to invite you to get excited about this as well because we have an opportunity in Australia. There is no law against us. And God invites us to be part of his salvation plan for the world. I mean, isn't that exciting? Well, for some of you it's exciting. For Mike it's exciting. I'm excited. Isn't it amazing that God chooses each of you to share your faith? Isn't it exciting? It's amazing. And this week you have a chance to go out and share the gospel. So are you going to go do it? Awesome. Because if you don't, God will make himself known. And if you don't choose to do it willingly now, as you all just said, yes, I will, God will make himself known in this country in another way. I can almost guarantee it from Scripture. And so we are part of this as well. And I want to finish by saying, for us at Open Doors, it's a pleasure to serve the persecuted church because we get to work with a church which is reaching out to thousands of people. We have a pastor in Syria who we almost stopped helping. Uh, We almost stopped helping him because he said, I've told my congregation to stop coming to church. And we were like, that's the opposite of what we think you should do. And so we asked him, why have you stopped your congregation coming to church? And he said, 
I have told my congregation to stop coming to church because if the Christians continue to take up all of the seats, all of the Muslims who are standing outside won't have a chance to hear who Jesus is. There are hundreds of Muslims coming to Christ. Since the September 11 attacks in 2001, which is probably when some of you are in kindergarten, that's crazy, but since that time, more Muslims have come to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior than in the previous two millennia combined. There is a revival and a movement sweeping through the Islamic world at the moment. And so it is a pleasure to work for the persecuted church and hear these stories every day. But I would ask you to consider supporting Open Doors as well. And I would ask you to think of it in this way. What would it take for you to subscribe to the survival of the persecuted church? Think about any other subscription in your life, whether it be Spotify, Netflix, a monthly phone bill, something like that. Can you match that and subscribe to the survival of the persecuted church? And if you can match that figure, chat to me about it afterwards. And we would love to sign you up to support the persecuted church. But I'm so excited that each of you has said yes to sharing your faith this week. And I can't wait to come back to see this church doubled in a year's time. So please pray with me now. Lord God, we thank you that we get to be part of this salvation plan for the world. Lord, we thank you that you've picked each one of us and that you love us dearly. Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray very consciously, Lord, that you do not take away this persecution, but you strengthen the backs of those under it. Lord, we pray for those living in the hardest circumstances right now, Lord, that you would hear their pleas, give them the strength and encouragement that they need to love their enemies and pray for those who are persecuting them. And Lord, in lieu of those who cannot pray for those persecuting them at the moment, Lord, we pray for those people who do not know you, that you would give boldness to the Christians who are standing before terrorists because they were kidnapped to be there, Lord. We pray that you would give them the words and the courage to share the life-giving words of Jesus in this moment.